right, so let's open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, and I'm going to ask you to turn to chapter 11. Let me remind you, because it's been a couple of weeks, but it's just important that we, re- that we maintain this leverage. Let me remind you about our approach to this text. We are studying the book of Revelation, not because we find it just fascinating or because, you know, we're into imagery or, or, or we want to predict the future. But here it is, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. John says this. Well, actually, John records this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Friends, we're reading this because there's blessing in it. But there's blessing for, those who, for, when, for us when we hear it and when we heed it, when we respond. Our objective is to come to this text and respond to it. To obey, to heed means to observe and to respond. It's the same word that Jesus told his disciples to do, to make disciples, to teach them to obey his word. That's to heed, to respond to this. We are not staring at this text going, wow, that's fascinating. We are looking at this text asking, Lord, help me to respond to that. Help help me to obey, to respond obediently to the word of God. We are doing all of this because the time is near. Would y'all say the time is near? The time is near. And we, are, we need to live with an eye on eternity. Yeah. We, and boy, it's really encouraging and it's really inspiring and it helps us. Now, remember, as we're trying to go through this text, we're trying to use the same frame of reference that John would have used. We are primarily trying to interpret Revelation using the Old Testament. That's the, 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 the trunk of the frame of reference that John would have used. Remember, we talked about two trunks. The Old Testament trunk of images and signs and symbols versus the the trunk of our 21st century, which has cable news and computer chips and stuff. Let's that sometimes if if we use this other chip that works. But honestly, let me say this, that that involves interpreting scripture with our imagination instead of through the scripture itself. So we should use the scripture to interpret it. We want to also understand that Jewish apocalyptic literature, which John is using, has a certain genre, a certain style, a certain format, and a certain approach. And so we want to we use that. Now, I said this before. Let me say it with a big, huge smile. Maybe you want to smile with me as we say this. We will explore passages that, for some, I actually may say something you don't expect me to say. And if I haven't yet, get ready. Oh, boy. Boy, I had lunch with uh, Jeremy Carson before he left, and, and, I, and I told him a couple of things, and he stared at me, and he said, I don't know what to say about that. I've never heard that before. I said, well, you're about to. Uh, but uh, uh, if I say something that you don't expect, if I say something that you haven't been told before, if I say something that is even different than you've taught before, repeat, that, repeat this next phrase after me. Don't panic. Do not panic, do not worry, do not get upset, just go, okay, because here's the deal. Here's what old Dr. Dab is going to emphasize no matter what, and everybody in the room needs to, needs to uh, uh, be happy about this. Here's what we're going to emphasize. Jesus is Lord, Amen. Jesus is coming, Amen. and we should live like it. Now, if you've got a problem with one of those three things, then that would be a good time to leave. Don't leave, you're fine, you'll be happy. Have a donut and be comfortable. All right. So far in our study of the book of Revelation, we've uh, we've seen things. We've seen worship in heaven. We've seen warning on earth, and 
we've been reminded that eternity is real. Amen. And it is trying to get our attention. Right. Last time in chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11, we saw that we have a, a mandate from heaven to declare the truth of God's word. And that we are heaven's spirit-empowered witnesses. Today, we'll see that in all of this, we will face opposition. But we will overcome. And we'll be reminded again today that God will judge the world according to his own righteousness. But in all of this, let me say it again. Remember, eternity is real. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming. And we should live like it. Chapter 11, here we are. Let's, let's, let's pick off kind of where we left off last, last time. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Last time we left off emphasizing that the church is, is heaven's witness. We are heaven's witness. Oh, everybody just say it together. We are heaven's witness. So here's verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. It is important to read this symbolically. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. They, <laughs> they have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. They have the power over the stars to turn them into blood that strike the earth with plague as often as they desire. Okay, what are we talking about here? We, these witnesses, we, and I, I, I will not take the time to unpack it as slowly as before. It's archived on YouTube and, and iTunes and on our Facebook. These witnesses, if these were literal people, literally Batman and Robin, it's coming at the end of the age to save the day, uh, that doesn't make sense, first of all, because someone already has come to save the day. Furthermore, if there, were, if there were two magnificent warriors coming, Jesus would have told us. But you and I both know that Jesus only mentioned... Whoa, <laughs> he only mentioned one group of witnesses, and that's you. He said, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The, so who, is, who are heaven's witnesses, according to the words of Jesus? You're looking at them. That's right. So the, wit the witnesses that we should understand here is this is the witnessing church. This is the witnessing church. And the power that is ascribed to these witnesses are, is simply, uh, is, is they're, they're describing the power of these witnesses in the terms of, of Old Testament prophets, simply meaning that John does not see a weak church. John does not describe an anemic, powerless, uninfluential, hiding under the rocks type of church. He'll talk about opposition in a minute, but understand this, that even, the, that even in opposition, you are a church that is empowered by God himself. The Holy Spirit is upon the church, and, the, and, that, and that's, that empowering spirit, it, 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 really there's an expectation, a demand upon the church to affect change. But he doesn't, but our, but our weapons are not carnal. Rather, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There is a spiritual power that the church is commissioned to operate in. Why are there two witnesses? Two things. Number one, Deuteronomy says that every matter has to be established by two or three witnesses. John's a Bible boy. This is witnesses. Furthermore, we understand that the big deal, the mystery of God, which was already talked about, John, the the the, the, the 
in chapter 10, this is, this is the, the, the mystery. The mystery of God is the gospel. And that mystery is this, that it was hidden, is that Jews and Gentiles are woven be, to become one body. They are one people. So, these, these, so we have this witnessing church anointed by the Spirit that's valid because there's two, but also made up of the whole world of Jews and Gentiles. Pretty cool, right? Okay. Then there's the, John says that they, that they prophesy. They speak the word of God. They declare the gospel. They declare the message of hope. To prophet, Remember we talked about prophecy is covenant calling. Prophecy is not necessarily describing or predicting the future. That only happens if it's necessary in terms, in, if you're going to edify someone or give someone proper direction. But most of the time, prophecy is covenant calling. Calling, which means here's the covenant and here's you. Old Testament prophets, that's primarily what they did. They said, here's the covenant and here's you. And they, and they, they, they called people to return to that covenant. You and I, when we, when we preach the gospel, you're prophesying. You're declaring, here's the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Here's you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Or even in church, if you're prophesying to someone in church who knows the Lord Jesus, you can look at someone like Daniel Lane and remind him who he is in Christ, who God's called him to be, God's purposes, God's power for his life, the promises of God in his life, and he's and you're literally calling him to back to the covenant. Not necessarily by way of repentance, but by way of what Paul says, to encourage, to comfort, to counsel, to build somebody up. We are, that's this, the, the church of Jesus Christ is a prophetic voice to the world, calling them to covenant, whether that means encouragement or repentance. Now, primarily, it looks like repentance when the message is to the world. That's why they're clothed in sackcloth. They're not clothed in haughtiness. They're clothed in sackcloth. Our message, we don't have a chip on our shoulder. We have a burden on our back. We carry this, this empathetic burden for the world that they might repent and return, be reconciled to God through Christ. Now, that's kind of where we ended last time. We pick it up in verse 7. You ready? Here it is. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them, and kill them. Everybody ought to know. Wow, that's an exciting passage, isn't it? I, that'll get, I, I, there wasn't a lot of shouting that just happened here. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Okay, let's listen in here. Lean in a little closer. The church militant, the witnessing church, cannot be stopped until it is time. When they have finished their testimony, the word of God will go forth. The word of God will accomplish what it was sent to do, and it cannot be stopped. Paul said that even though he was in chains, the word of God cannot be chained. That's in 2 Timothy 2.9. The prophet Isaiah said in 55.11, my word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the, man, the matter for which I sent it. In Revelation, we see that there comes a time for these witnesses to finish their testimony. 
This may be an eschatological ref reference to the end of the church age. It may also be, or it may also refer to the cycle of faithful believers who stay in their race, faithful to Christ until they finish their testimony. Acts, two, Acts 20, verse 24. Listen to how you can hear an echo of this in what Paul says. Paul says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify, to witness, to, te to give testimony, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. It may refer, so again, it could refer to, to the, this, the, an eschatological moment in, in the life of the church, talking about these witnesses finishing their testimony, or it could refer to individuals finishing their testimony. It could refer to all the above. In any case, these witnesses come to a place where they finish their testimony, and when they have finished, the beast that comes up from the abyss will make war with them, overcome them, kill them. You hear the language there? This is the, the language of brute force, of, of persecution and destruction that rises against the message of truth. Darkness cannot compete with light. Deceit can never overcome truth. Darkness and wickedness will always seek to silence opposition by force. It cannot abide. Wickedness cannot abide being corrected or debated. Cannot abide it. You can, and, and many of you right now, your brain's going, I, I kind of see that in the world today. I, I see people. I, if, if, if someone says, you know, I don't think that's right, or I think maybe that's not, that, that's wrong, or they just simply voice truth in the face of a lie, eventually it's not enough that they say, well, I, let's just agree to disagree. They, they are silenced. They are shamed. They are overcome. They are persecuted. Eventually they are prosecuted. Darkness cannot abide being debated or corrected, so it destroys. The beast comes up out of the abyss. Oh, admit it, some of you were just waiting for me to get to this. Boy, who is this beast? Don't answer. Do not say things out loud and be just to have fun. Who is this beast? Here's the answer. We don't know yet. He ha we have not been given an origin story of this beast. All, we're just reading along, and all of a sudden, John says, the beast. And he uses the definite article, the, and to, to tell, uh, the, apparently, his, he expects his audience to know what he's talking about. The beast comes out of the abyss. But we know, two millennia later, just from the text, is this. If the beast comes out of the abyss, we read about that abyss earlier, we, we know that this thing is demonic, it is evil, and it is an ambassador of hell. We also know that, as the way it is described, it is a spiritual power. 
In the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is the beast that makes war against the church. I, I said I may say a couple of things that are slightly, maybe a left turn from some of the things. Remember, remember, my I do not have this secret hidden dab agenda with this text. I literally come to the book of Revelation as confused as anybody else could be. And I do my best to say, Lord, what does this mean? What is the text? And I, it takes a lot of study. But here's the deal. This that we're reading about, this beast, which is not really explained, but we know that it's demonic, we know that it's dark, we know that it's a spiritual force that makes war against the church. For the first few centuries of the church, this beast meant to them, it was clear, it meant Rome. It meant her emperors, her idolatry, and her brutal, savage oppression. But you know what? This beast has shown up throughout history. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity estimates that more than 70 million Christians have been martyred over the last two millennia, the last 2,000 years. And more than half of those have been killed in the 20th century, under the fascist and communist regimes. As a matter of fact, for the 21st century, they estimate that one million Christians were killed over the 10-year period from 2000 to 2010. I know when we start throwing out big numbers, it becomes less personal. But they estimate a million were killed in 10 years. That's 100,000 a year. The beast has been making war against the witnesses. It would be foolish for us to say he hasn't started yet. You have some explaining to do. You have, frankly, 7 million people to explain that to. But it appears from history that he's also picking up steam. We must recognize that there may be very well more to come. John says that when these witnesses were overcome, they are killed. What? Verse 8 then picks it up. It says, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. First of all, it is very likely, friends, understanding the genre and the intent here, that what this means is that the brutal persecution of the church is significant. It does not mean that she is wiped off the planet. Why do you say that, Dav? Well, because of the genre, because of the interpretation but also because Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and says 
that there will come a time when the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who remain will meet them in the air. <laughs> so there's never going to be a time when there's not somebody here. If everyone's dead, then no one can remain. <laughs> so the picture of these witnesses, their, 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 their bodies lying on the, quote, street of the great city, probably doesn't literally mean the entire church is exterminated so it can't bear witness any longer. Rather, it emphasizes that the true, true church will seem defeated in its role of witness. It will, it will, there will there be a time, or perhaps has been times, where it will appear small and insignificant, and it will be treated with indignity. To leave a body on the street was the lowest form, it, or, the, or the, one of the greatest ways to, to show them dishonor, indignity, to not bury them. That's, that's why it's repeated twice, that, the, that the church will be persecuted and scorned. The church is attacked in, in what John calls the great city. Seven times in the book of Revelation, this is Babylon. Seven times the great city is called Babylon. And again, to the first century, Babylon meant Rome. It was the code. It was the symbol of Rome. And then it says, this is, but it says, this is, this is where her Lord was crucified. You and I think, well, wait a minute. I thought he was crucified outside of Jerusalem. Well, who, but who, under what hands, what hands did those? It was the hands of, 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 of a pagan government. It was the hands of Rome that nailed Jesus to the cross. That's why it's so important that we, that we, we read this with more than a literal view. When we reduce it to a literal view, then the, that, that when we say this is literal, then it misses the meaning. Can I repeat by what I mean by that? We, we interpret the Bible literally when it means literal things. But if when it's not literal, then we actually do damage to the text. We all, I think Jeremy talked about last week that, that faith moves mountains. If we, if we interpret that literally, it becomes meaningless. Does anybody really, really want to move Mount Hood somewhere? And even if we did, should we do that? No, that would be bad. That would be chaos. Nobody really needs Mount Hood kind of moved. You know, I'd like, I'd like it over here in my kitchen view a little bit. No, we don't, we don't want to literally move mountains. If we apply, there are times when we must interpret it symbolically in order to derive real meaning from it. And, and specifically in Revelation, we have to be careful. So when we're talking about this great city, we need to understand that this great city is actually every city and no city. What do you mean, Dab? I mean it is civilized man, an organized community. It is the social and political embodiment of human self-sufficiency and rebellion against God. It is Sodom and Egypt. It is, it is the capital of moral degradation and the capital of oppression and slavery. It is humankind at her worst. And this is the great, this, 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 the great city in which the martyred church lies dead is the world under the wicked and oppressive sway of the beast. Verse 9 says, those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days. Now, first of all, three and a half days, 
not only does that mean a, a short time of apparent defeat, it look, but it's supposed to remind the reader of someone else who appeared defeated for three days. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> okay. This is a, it's, it's also a mirror of the three and a half years, that season uh, of, the, of, of oppression and warfare. Then the, the, they, the, those people, uh, the who? Tribes, the people, the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations, they will not permit the dead bodies to be laid in the tomb. And those who dwell on the earth, that phrase, dwell on the earth, always means the inhabitants of the earth, those who are in rebellion against God, that those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those. I'm surprised those who just love and are committed to absolute literal interpretation haven't said, see, Christmas is of the beast. <laughs> Oops, sending gifts. There it is. No, no. That is a reference. That is a, that is a reference, a throwback to the book of Esther. When the Jews were victorious and they sent gifts to one another, they're saying that it's the opposite. The church is, the church is being oppressed and they're celebrating this. There's an, not only do they have disdain for the church, they're actually happy about how the church is being oppressed. This has been true throughout history. It's true today. It may get worse. Now, how, Dad, you say, hey, Dad, how come that's not just one city? Listen, because the audience for this is the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations. In other words, the audience for this, the, for this is the whole world. The whole world sees this happen. That, I don't know. The, the, the way to, the, if, those, if, if this were two, two literal people in one town, I think Hal Lindsey said, see, that's cable TV. Cable TV or social media or Twitter now makes it possible. Look, the two witnesses are trending. I mean, we can make it work. I can go over to this trunk and say, see, it's going to be on Twitter. And they're going to be hashtag two witnesses, hashtag they're dead, you know, all that. But no, that's the wrong. In this trunk, we should understand that, that this is, this is, this, this, is, this means that this is not a localized event. It is a global one. The church around the world will face this war against her. She has and she does in every part of the earth. And those who dwell on the earth will take joy whenever the church seems to have been silenced by force. The ministry of these witnesses John describes as torment for those who dwell on the earth. The message of the church runs against the grain of sinful inclination, or at least it should. The, the idea is that the, the church prophesying, calling people back to covenant, is supposed to run contrary to the inclination of sinful human hearts. Our, our, well, let's just have some fun. Our, our message is actually not supposed to be seeker-friendly. If it were, ain't nobody would be mad. I'm not, I'm not promoting us being mean-spirited, having a chip on our shoulder and all of that. But the message of the church is not, I'm okay, you're okay, it's all going to be great. Jesus has nothing but rainbows and daisies and unicorns for everybody. It is repent, come back to the covenant, be reconciled to God. And I'll say it again, that repent is not a bad word. Repent is not a negative word. I don't know anybody who has ever repented and felt and regretted it. Nobody, nobody who's ever repented said, man, I'm, I regret repenting. <laughs> I know some folks who regret not repenting. 
it is so worth noting once again, and I'm going to make sure I slow down and don't get too intense about this part. It's so worth noting again that what we are seeing is that the very world in which primarily the North American evangelical church is so very bent on appeasing, attracting, and gaining their approval and desperate for their applause is the very world that has and is and will seek to kill the church. Perhaps we should reconsider all the exasperated fanny kissing and attempts to blend in and be cool and get back to being just witnesses for Christ. Speaking about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come because, friends, eternity is coming. It's real. We do this clothed in humility and speaking with respect, but we do this bowing to no one but Christ. Can we gain the whole world and afford to lose our souls? James warns us that friendship with this world, not with people, but friendship with this world is hatred toward God. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Here's why. Because verse 11, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. You can't keep the church down. You certainly can't keep her dead. Time and again, she will rise by the breath of God. She has. She does. She will. I was just reading again about Jonathan Edwards in the, in the season of the Great Awakening, in the, in the, in the colonial season, and, and how they, they, they would, the, the condition of the church across New England was dead and dry and carnal and immoral and, and dispassionate and not good. And we've heard about the story, sinners in the hands of, the angry, of an angry God. We've heard, oh man, we heard that, oh man, here Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon and he couldn't even finish it because people in the church began to cry out and weep and they would fall out of their pews and some laugh and some cry. They, had, they didn't realize that, 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 was, that, North, that later evangelicals, evangelicals would say, you're not supposed to do that. But that's how things, they, people did that. They just fell out and they, they got emotional. They did all the stuff that they did in the river movement before the river movement became the river movement. It turns out he's the same Holy Ghost. <laughs> turns out. Anyhow. But, but, but the, 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 the rest of that story is that wasn't the first time that Jonathan Edwards had preached that sermon. It wasn't the sermon itself. He preached it before somewhere else. People thought, well, that's a pretty good sermon. But he went to a church where they had resisted the awakening, where they had resisted revival, and he, and he goes there. He wasn't even scheduled to speak that morning, so he pulls out one, like some preachers do. Well, I got this sermon here in my briefcase. So he pulls out the one in his briefcase, starts to read it, and God shakes the place because you can't keep the church down. You can't keep the church dead. Time and again, the breath of God will come into her and she will rise. And what looked like the church was dead and gone turned out to be a great awakening that changed a nation. It's happened, it's happening, and it will happen again. 
But one day it's going to be different. One day she's going to rise in a different way. Verse 12, and they heard. Who heard? Yeah, everybody. Everybody who's watching and got freaked out because she stood up. But one time, John says, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And then they went up into heaven in the cloud. And their enemies watched them. Here John sees that the church is taken away in a cloud. With a, there's a, listen, there's a voice, a shout, you might say, and then the, the church is taken up and people see it. Just say it out loud. They see it. I know, listen, just relax. I'm about to make some of you upset. I know, I know that you're, this is going to mess with your bumper sticker. If this car is, you know, missing a driver, that... The, 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 sudden, the sudden mysterious disappearance of people is not in the book. They see it and it freaks them out. Listen, Jesus snuck in here one time. The first time he came real quiet, snuck, on, snuck in, hides himself in a little, little away in a manger. Right? Invites only the shepherds. But Jesus made it clear. He said, when I'm, when he's, Jesus said, I'll be back. But when I do, it'll be like the, when the lightning flashes on one side of the sky and is seen across the other. Hallelujah. He's not coming back in secret. I know, I know, I know. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming and live like it. We can all agree on that. But here it is. They, the, they and their enemies watched them. I tell you what this sounds like to me, that when there's a voice and then they're up, it sounds like this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. This, will not, this is not a secret departure. This is seen and this is feared. And if we listen, and if and if there's a voice, then we should be expecting a trumpet pretty soon. Well, isn't that interesting? Verse 13, and in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the, of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Verse 14, the second woe was passed, behold, the third woe was coming quickly. In that hour, I mean in that in that moment, the squeezing of the time, there's this great earthquake, and the tenth of the city fell. This may be a literal earthquake, but we need to hear now, we should be paying attention, that, earthquake, that Revelation is, it refers to a significant earthquake two or three times. It's very likely this is the same earthquake. It could be an actual earthquake or just something very cataclysmic that happens that affects society. Whatever it is, it, is, it affects a symbolically large portion of this great city we've already mentioned. And those who remain and those who behold this, the people, those who watch it. Everybody say, those who watch it. Those who see this thing, it says, give glory to the God of heaven. And you say, hallelujah, that's revival. That means they see it and they get saved. No, no. If you read the book, if you read the book of Joshua, the very first thing that happens in the book of Joshua is that Achan steals the bacon. 
A guy named Achan sneaks into Jericho and hides some stuff under his tent. And then they all get in trouble and things go south. And then when they, when they do an investigation, Joshua uses this Old Testament Hebraism. And he's, what he says to Achan is this. It, they know it's him. He's standing right in front of him. He's the guilty one. And Joshua says, all right, give glory to God. Tell us what happened. This is an expression of not of repentance, but of, but of acknowledgement, I'm busted. This is the same sentiment as, as, in, as in the, when the seals were being opened and people were crying out to the, for the rocks to cover them, to, to keep them from the wrath of the Lamb. This is, unfortunately, this is not an expression of repentance, but of terror. Verse 15, then, what? Look at that. Hey, didn't we say this was supposed to happen? Then the seventh angel sounded. The seventh trumpet blasted. Aha, there's the trumpet we're waiting for. And when that trumpet sounds, here's what we hear next. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. That's exactly what you're supposed to say next. Yeah. He shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces. Can I ask a quick question? Why does John keep telling us that these 24 elders sit on their thrones? Because they never do. Read the book. They're constantly throwing themselves on their face before God. They have seats. They don't use them. They throw they fall on their faces before, and they worship God, saying, We give you thanks, O God, O Lord the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came. If you're looking for an Old Testament uh, echo, read, read Psalm 2 next to this passage. Okay? And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. The time comes for judgment, reward, and punishment. Eternity is real. And here we have a hymn of praise for the victory of God, for his judgment and his reward. Here is another view, the conclusion of another cycle of seven, seven Seals, now seven trumpets. And at the end of both of these cycles, we see the same thing. Everybody is on their face in worship before God. And what they're doing is they, they seem to be worshiping in anticipation of, of something yet to almost to be fulfilled. And whether we're seeing it in advance or they're predicting it's absolutely what next. But here's what we know is this. Eternity is real and it's trying to get our attention. Friends, this is why everything matters. There are eternal consequences at stake. The stakes cannot be higher. This is why our ethics matter. Our morality matters. Honoring God's word matters. Following Christ today matters. This is how we, how do we respond to texts like this? We remind ourselves that eternity is real and that we should live like it. Verse 19, and the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. And the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. 
chapter 11 began with, with, by measuring the temple on earth with altars and worshipers, and the, the church was enduring persecution. And now it, include, it, it concludes with another vision of this heavenly temple. And what we see in there is the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, wait a minute. Why the Ark? Is, some, is this Indiana Jones? Did he go to the wrong place? Is this where top men have been looking at the Ark? Top men. This, no, it, 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 or, or perhaps, is this where it went after the Babylonian attack? Did the ark get beamed up into heaven? No. Some say that this vision is a promise of access to God's presence. There is a promise of access to God's presence, but we don't need this for that. Some say this is a reference to the restoration of God's covenant with Israel. The problem is, God's covenant began with Abraham, and he didn't have a box. This box contains, this ark contains the commandments of God. What you are seeing here, and, and we should know this because this is, there aren't harps playing. When that thing is open and the ark is seen, you aren't, you aren't hearing, strumity, strum, strum. Oh. There's no incense, there's no fragrance, there's no bird singing, there's lightning, there's thunder, there's earthquakes, and this ark, time out. What we are seeing, friends, is the standard of righteousness against which all must be judged who have not taken refuge in Christ. Romans chapter 1 and 2 tells us that the righteousness of God is known in the hearts of men, and His eternal qualities are known in creation. There is a standard of right and wrong. And how the clue to understanding this is exactly what follows. This thing is open. That ark, which has the commandments of God, is revealed, and it's symbolic. And then we hear flashes of lightning and sounds and peals and thunder and earthquake and a great hailstorm. These are expressions of judgment. By the way, flashes of lightning, sounds, peals, thunder, earthquake, hailstorm, these expressions, you know when we saw them before? We saw them at the end of, this, of the seven seals in chapter 8, verse 15. And now we see them at the end of seven trumpets, chapter 11, verse 19. And what do you know? Heads up, we'll see them in 1618 at the end of seven bowls. Why? Why are we seeing this, these cycles of seven, these stories of judgment? And by the way, each one, a great, uh, uh, an enlarged one, each one, a recapitulation of a similar season. Why are we seeing these things? Because, what, because we need to know this. God will judge the world according to his righteousness. Eternity is real. Would you please say it out loud with me? Eternity is real. Jesus is Lord. You can say that too if you want. You can say this, Jesus is coming. But please say this, we should live like it. These are, these are big, big texts and heavy texts, but the meaning is consistent. The message is consistent. Their, their eternity is real. We are not just on a walk. There is a finish line. There will come a time when we, everyone will have, to be, will have to stand before the Lord. Can I ask you to stand right now as we close this morning? The scripture says that we are heaven's witness, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness. So therefore, we must be true to the word, we must be a prophetic voice to our world. But at the same time, we must, we must understand that we will face opposition just as those 
before us have, and those who come after us may even may face more. That's, but that's not the point. The point is no matter what opposition we face, the breath of God will not allow us to be, to be defeated. And there will come a day when that breath, that voice will call all of us home. That voice will call all of us, come up here. But until then, that voice says, come home. Come home right now. Come, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed across this house, is there anybody here this morning who is not ready to meet Jesus Christ? Who is not ready to stand before him? You haven't haven't said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Is there anybody here this morning that you would raise your hand and say, hey, Dad, would you pray for me? I I want to give my life to Jesus before I leave this room today. Would you lift your hand right now? Just lift it right now. We, before we go, it'd be, it'd be a tragedy for me not to give you opportunity to surrender to Jesus Christ. Just pray for me before I go. I want to know Jesus as my Savior. Can we all just agree together today to, re, to live today like eternity is real? That Jesus is coming. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would prompt, you would encourage, you would inspire us to live faithfully and fervently for Jesus Christ. Bless your church. Bless their day. Bless the week in front of us, Lord. Bless those as, we, as they are sent from this place and those who will be sent to go even further. And uh, Lord, may your anointing rest upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Jesus is coming. Live like it. Have a good day.